This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today, we have NBC's War Telescope as it aired on October 2nd, 1943. The series was broadcast from London and offered weekly updates on the war, as well as looking at what could be coming in the weeks and months ahead. It was originally hosted by war correspondent Morgan Beatty. Elmer Peterson took over the job in August and hosted this episode, where he discusses soldiers buying gifts for Christmas for their friends and family on the home front, as well as how the war is affecting the mail system and how you should properly get mail to your family serving overseas, among other topics. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. From London, the National Broadcasting Company presents War Telescope, a review of the war week and the forecast of possible developments to come. War Telescope features Elmer Peterson of NBC's London staff, a veteran reporter of the European scene. For his regular Saturday report, we take you now to London. This is Elmer Peterson in London. There are only 10 more shopping days for Christmas presents. Not for you people at home, but for American soldiers stationed here in Britain and other places abroad. 10 more days for the American soldier to select a gift for the Christmas tree at home that he won't have a chance to see this year. So the Christmas shopping rush is on now at American airfields, army camps, and naval bases outside the United States. Over here in Britain, you can see American soldiers, nurses, and wax pouring over a catalog of gifts, gifts available for Christmas delivery. These gifts won't be mailed from Britain. They'll be mailed from stores and shops at home. But there has to be a time limit on this arrangement. That's why we're seeing some strange sights over here now, with American servicemen and women as Christmas-conscious in October as they normally would be in early December. You can see a flying fortress gunner concentrating for all he's worth on that Christmas catalog, trying to decide whether to send candy, flowers, perfume, or some novelty to his girlfriend. The day before, that gunner was concentrating on getting a Focke fighter plane squarely in the sights of his machine gun. But now he's got a new problem, and an important one. Talk about the indecision of looking over a mail order catalog in the old days. This has got to beat a mile. Or the American soldier abroad is going to play Santa Claus himself this year with gifts that include war bonds, among other things. But you people at home have also got a time problem in your return Christmas gifts for the soldiers serving overseas. You've got until October 15th or just two weeks. You've also got your own problems in what to send, in deciding what your relatives and friends among these soldiers want and need. You don't want to send something the soldier doesn't need and doesn't want. Above all, you don't want to waste valuable shipping space. So, for the benefit of those of you who do have this problem, we're devoting this program today to the question of Christmas gifts and Christmas mail for the soldiers overseas. 
At the moment, you're being asked to mail your gifts as quickly as possible, and for good reason. You're all familiar with the problems of Christmas mail at home in normal times. The incredible stacks of mailbags, the weary postman, the rush of distribution. But put that in terms of mail delivery under wartime conditions, and you've got something. In fact, nothing is more impressive over here, nothing more dramatic in its way, than our own Army's wartime postal service. It's a service that performs miracles, no less, in getting your letter or parcel delivered, even if it means sending it around the world and back again. Indeed, there's practically nothing our Army, Navy, and Air Force won't do to see to it that the men serving overseas get their mail. You've got to see that wounded soldier in a hospital to appreciate what it means to him to get a letter from home. You've got to talk to the men waiting their turn at the front line to realize how important it is to them to know that everyone at home is all right. Already here in Britain, preparations are being made to handle this tremendous volume of Christmas mail. Visit an army-based post office over here, and you're staggered by the normal amount of mail that arrives. Hundreds of soldiers and part-time workers are required to handle this mail, and from now on, there will be no rest for these army postal workers. They'll be toiling 12 to, 24, 12 to 14 hours out of every 24, just as they did last year, when as many as 25 carloads of mail arrived from British ports in one train. Letters and parcels flow down steel chutes into sorting rooms with all the precision of an assembly line. And each letter and parcel represents a personal contact, a contact that has to be maintained, or it's a vital thing. Watching that army mail arriving on this side of the ocean, you're caught in hell by the thought of all the hopes and prayers, the patient waiting, the welcome reminders that are involved in those mountainous piles of mailbags from home. Now, many of you who are listening now have a share in this mail. And so, to give you a better idea, perhaps, of how important it is for you to do your part correctly, you're going to hear now from one of the men responsible for getting your mail delivered. We have with us here in NBC's London studio today, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Hartigan of 3055 Taylor Avenue, Cincinnati. Colonel Hartigan is the commanding officer of the base post office we've been talking about. He's a former postal inspector in Cincinnati, and he now works under the supervision of Colonel Edgar E. Schroeder of Charleston, West Virginia, who is chief postal officer for the European Theater of Operations. At any rate, Colonel Hartigan knows a lot about Christmas mail, as do most of the men who work with him. His sergeant major, his example, Armand Levesque, used to be a postal clerk in Windsor, Vermont. To begin with, Colonel Hartigan, what advice can you offer from the viewpoint of this Christmas mail as it arrives here in Britain? Well, Pete, there's the usual advice about mailing early, wrapping securely in heavy paper, and addressing letters clearly. But here are two good tips for parents and wives and sweethearts and friends of soldiers overseas. Take particular care in identifying the unit, giving it as fully as you can. Furthermore, give the soldier's army serial number. That makes it much easier to trace him in the event he's been moved from one unit or station to another. Well, as I understand it, Colonel Hartigan, a mistake in an APO number can cause a lot of confusion. That's putting it mildly. A mistake like that can see a left parcel sent to the Pacific instead of across the Atlantic. That's a long ways apart. Can you give us an example of how important it is to address letters and parcels properly? I can give you one out of personal experience, if that's all right. Last August, I applied for a British ration card, and the card was sent to me, addressed to my Army Post Office number. But the sender failed to write in the words, U.S. Army. So the British postal clerks naturally assumed I was a British officer and sent the letter overseas. It went to Egypt, then back to the United States, and then back here five months later. And all that time, I was only 20 miles away from the point where the ration card was mailed. 
But I mention this as an example of what can happen and how important it is to be careful. The point is that mistakes are costly in point of time, and our only ambition is to get mail and parcels delivered as fast and efficiently as possible. I understand, Colonel, that there are a lot of mistakes made in addressing V-mail. Uh, can you give us any examples of this? Yes, indeed, and many of them will make you smile. But it's no joke for the soldier who doesn't get the letter. For example, there was a V-letter the other day addressed merely to my darling boy far away in Ireland where his grandpa was born. We had another addressed to my darling husband. We've had a newspaper addressed merely to a certain corporal in care of the underground barrage balloon battalion. Some of these mistakes are made, it seems, by people not reading instructions for V-mail, by writing the salutation where the address should be. Here again, you can see how important it is to be careful. You know, I think we've got a certain chance, Colonel, of putting that point over about being careful. But what about delivering mail to a soldier who's been moved about a lot? We do everything humanly possible, Pete, to get that soldier's mail to him. And in most cases, he doesn't have to wait too long. We have files for that purpose to show us the whereabouts of each soldier. Yes, and I wish, Colonel, that everyone could see those files, the amount of work that goes into locating the soldier so that he can get his mail. But there's something else that impressed me, Colonel, in the matter of using the correct address. That's the listings of the Smiths and Johnsons and Millers and Davises and so forth. I gather there is not really much you can do with a letter addressed merely to Private Smith. Well, if his serial number is given, we could still deliver it. And that, I think, Colonel, ought to nail down your point about full address. Now, what about perishable stuff in parcels? The only answer is don't send it. It's a waste of food and shipping space. Believe it or not, one mother sent a dozen fresh fish. Fresh, that is, when they left the United mm. States. Someone else sent overripe tomatoes. All that means trouble for us. And nothing gained for the soldier for whom someone had the best intentions. Speaking of good intentions, Colonel, uh, what would you yourself like for Christmas? Pete, my idea of a Christmas present would be to get enough help for the big Christmas rush. I'll get it because soldier's mail is important. But I'm going to need a lot of staff this year. I can understand that, Colonel. And from what I've seen, the soldiers don't have to worry about getting their mail, provided it's addressed properly and mailed properly. And now for the question of what to send the men serving overseas. We can't expect to answer this completely, but we'll try. And we're going to start with the opinions of Sergeant Wayne Ogle of Idaville, Indiana, whose family has a real postal tradition. His father, Sergeant Clifford Ogle, has been an RFD postman at home for 20 years, was in the last war, and enlisted in this one again. The Sergeant Ogle we have with us here today enlisted two and a half years ago at the age of 18. Well, Sergeant, here's that old question. What would you like for Christmas? Why, uh, I'd like some candy, a watch, a pencil set, some fruitcake, some photographs, a pair of brown civilian shoes, some ice cream. Just a minute, Sergeant. Ah, that's Colonel Hardigan speaking there, Sergeant. Maybe we'd better start over again. Oh, sorry. Sort of forgot myself. Well, I guess what I'd like as much as anything would be a lot of long letters and some small photographs I can carry around with me. Photographs of things at home and perhaps some candy. That sounds easy enough. And I take it, Sergeant, that you believe then in the importance of mail deliveries these days. Yes, sir. I give it top priority after food and ammunition. And as far as I'm concerned, letters are more important than gifts. After all, there are a lot of things we can get over here. You've got a point there, Sergeant. One that brings us to the third visitor in our studio today, namely Colonel E.M. Barnum of Boston, Massachusetts, who is chief of the Army Exchange Service for this theater. These post exchanges are, as you know, small stores where the servicemen and women can buy a certain amount of candy, cigarettes, razor blades, toilet articles, and the like. And they provide another reason for selecting carefully your Christmas gift for the man overseas or the woman overseas. 
How about that, Colonel Barnum? That's very true. Our post exchanges provide some 150 basic items for the armed forces. In fact, it should be remembered that the men are pretty well taken care of by their own post exchanges. Not everything they want, or as much as they want, of course. And a soldier serving overseas will always welcome a gift for reasons of sentiment alone, or a gift of something for which, as the sender knows, the soldier has a personal preference. But I think Sardogo makes a good point. From my own observations, there's nothing so welcome as a good newsy letter or small photographs. But whatever is sent, it should be small and compact so that it can be carried around easily. Sounds like very good advice indeed, Colonel Barnum. And what about the facilities being provided by your section to enable the soldier overseas or the nurse or whack overseas to send Christmas gifts back home? We're doing everything we possibly can to facilitate this. We've already mentioned the gift catalog we've distributed for use of the soldiers. And as you can see, that catalog includes everything from candy and perfume to dolls and flowers. We've also arranged for the soldiers to buy war bonds as gifts and have them delivered in a gift envelope before Christmas. And as the catalog gifts, the soldier makes his purchases over here and gets guaranteed delivery at home. Of course, this applies equally to our girls in the service. By the same method, the soldier can purchase a magazine subscription as a gift. Well, have you any indication as yet, Colonel Barnum, as to what the soldiers prefer as gifts for their for from their relatives and friends at home? To some extent, yes. Candies and flowers seem to lead the field, with a lot of preference shown also for novelties, cosmetics, and perfume. Which seems very good evidence that romance isn't dead by a long ways. Thanks very much, Colonel Barnum. And now here's some more dope on surveys over here as to what men serving overseas may want for Christmas presents. Here in London, the Red Cross has asked visiting soldiers from all parts of Britain to check which gifts they would prefer. Out of 300 men who made their preferences known, these are some of the results obtained. 77 wanted cigarette lighters, 62 small cameras and films, 45 photographs from home, and small photographs, remember. 35 want fountain pens, 33 candy, 21 identification bracelets, 11 raisins and nuts, 12 want, it must be the Scottish influence, golf balls. Still another survey revealed a great interest in waterproof watches. And in all these surveys, you'll find examples of American doughboy humor. I'll take a hair from Hitler's mustache, writes one soldier. And always you'll find the scribbled request for a gift we'd all like. What I want for Christmas, these boys write, is victory. Finally, an indicative of how important Christmas is going to be this year, in the minds and hearts of our fighting men, you'll find this answer. What I want for Christmas is a trip home to see my wife. In words like that, you have full evidence of the great importance of Christmas mail, the importance of proper addresses and prompt delivery. But remember always that shipping space is valuable. Remember this, and Christmas candles will burn a brighter flame toward the day when they can burn freely for everyone with the war over and done with. This is Elmer Peterson in London saying goodbye on this program until this time next week. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to War Telescope, a weekly report on the war as seen from London by Elmer Peterson, NBC's veteran observer in the British capital. Mr. Peterson is presented each Saturday at this same time over most of these same stations. The program came to you from London and New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company.